Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 15, verses 28 through 32. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you, and I've never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived after wasting your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord. The congregation may be seated. This week, a member sent me an email with a statistic. And when I heard it, I said, that's not, well, when I read it, I thought, that's not fair. Non-Christians, people who don't go to to church were... were, uh, were uh, polled, and when they asked, what characteristics do you associate with Christians in general? The top characteristic was hypocritical. The second to the top, which I thought would have been the top, was judgmental, then self-righteous, then arrogant, then unforgiving, then disrespectful. That's not fair! Shouldn't we be known for God's love and forgiveness, for a zeal for souls, for saving the lost? Hypocritical? Judgmental? Doesn't it seem lots of time like God's not fair? I can tell you, one apple spoils the whole lot. And sometimes it's, what's not remembered is the hundred people who showed God's love, but the one the devil used to drive them away. And speaking about God being fair, we always hear the story of the prodigal son. And and, and we hear about how the the father was so happy and loving to get him back. But how often do we stop to think about the older son's complaint? Dad, I have broken my back for you. He was out in the field when everybody else is celebrating. It's not fair. Not even a thanks. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, today our sermon theme is God's grace is not fair. And in our epistle lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, we were told, but we preach Christ crucified, which is offensive to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. Well, if you and I were Jewish people at Jesus' time hearing about that older brother... Wouldn't we think that the older brother had the right to be offended? See, if you were the oldest son, you got a double portion of the inheritance because you really were the one who were to take care of mom and dad. So when the younger brother said, Dad, I want to pretend like you're dead. That's the gist of what he was saying. So divide up and give me my inheritance now as if you're dead. So the older brother, the, the inheritance would have been divided in three portions The older brother would have gotten two-thirds, because he's mom and dad's retirement, and the younger brother would have got one-third. And the younger brother just squandered it. A third of the farm, gone. Yeah. The Jewish people would have said that older brother had the right to be offended. And, And what about the Greeks there? 
It's, offen- it's foolishness to Greeks. You and I add today Gentiles. Remember that the Greeks, why, because of people like Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, well, Socrates was the first one, but Socrates' question, asking people questions, the gadfly method, making people review things, led to, led to what has today become deductive reasoning and, and even somewhat uh, being able to do inductive reasoning, and it led to the scientific method. And really, if you're talking uh, to people who are logical, wouldn't they look at the dad and say, what a fool! I've seen parents like this. I've had friends whose parents were this way with them. They're spoiled. They get the nicer cars and they wreck them when they're in high school. And then when they get older and and they have families, the parents co-sign on loans for homes and the kids default and the parents are bankrupted paying for their home, having to take other mortgages out on their own and everything. And they just destroy their, their parents. And the parents just seem to keep taking them back in. And you want to scream, you fools! Stop it! Boot your kids out to the curb! Time to make them be adults in a real world! Wouldn't the Greeks say that father was a fool? That father is God the Father. You and I can be the prodigal son. You and I also can be that son saying, it's not fair! And the reason why it seems so unfair to us is because of the religion of this world. It's the religion of your and my sinful nature. It's the religion that blinds everybody except for those who God has brought to true faith in the Savior. It's the religion of work righteousness. It's the idea that you're righteous enough to actually earn your salvation to, before God. And that's really what the, what, what the older brother has done. He says, I've earned my keep. What is my reward? You're giving this younger brother a squad of prostitutes in a land among people that we Jews know are unclean. Where's my reward? And that kind of thinking is really popular today in Christianity. See, once we slip into that, it's amazing how quickly we lose grace completely because one little bit of your doing work that does that. Really, the older brother was guilty of prosperity theology. That's very common in America today. In fact, Christian churches are becoming business models of entertainment and they preach prosperity theology. You put the work in, you give the extra offerings, and man, is God, you're going to get the fattened calf every day. But that's not what you get. You get the cross. Isn't that offensive if you're a Jewish person thinking you earn salvation by being holy? Isn't that foolishness if you're a Greek? What? You serve the Lord and you get kicked for it? You get a cross? But brothers and sisters in Christ, it's amazing to me when we start screaming, it's unfair how oftentimes we're only looking as far as the end of our nose. Take a step a little further back and ask again, had the older brother really earned it? One of my favorite, shall we say, philosophers of the modern age said a few years ago something that was kind of, uh, man, I'd never thought of it that way, but he's right. In an age when people are busy screaming racism about everything and finding racism in places where it does not exist at all, He had pointed out, though, that how often are we proud of our ancestry? I'm so proud. 
I had a relative who did some really great things in my family lineup. I'm so proud to be Irish, or I'm so proud to be German, or I'm so proud to be African. But he pointed out, you have no control over that. You didn't choose your parents. Now, that person, that philosopher is not a Christian. So he wouldn't point out God even chose that. Had the older brother in any way earned the status of getting two-thirds inheritance? No. He had no choice in being the firstborn. If you're an atheist, you'd say he got lucky. We know better. God had planned it that way. You can't help to whom you're born to. That's why we have that saying when every family has that one relative, that one brother or sister that's embarrassing. They say, well, you can't pick blood. But they're right. That guy can't claim that he, that the older brother couldn't claim anything unfair because he did not deserve the two-thirds inheritance that he got. That was all God's planning. The older brother was actually blessed by God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit to be born in that position. And we hear the words of God the Father himself in verse 31. The Father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. These words ring in my ears, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when I was in high school, going into my early 20s, that work righteousness of America that is decision theology, the idea that you give your heart to Jesus, that, that definitely, that's grabbing the bull by the horns. It, it, it totally contradicts scripture. But that haunted me. Am I a Christian? Because my Christian friends, you know, they, they had a moment where they knew they had given their heart to Jesus. And man, you'd see it on television. You'd hear it on the 700 Club. I was snorting crack off a table or cocaine and I was about to die from an overdose. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, I need you in my life. I give my heart to you. And I felt this overwhelming comfort. I had no experience like that, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am to be born to Christians who happened to bring me to the baptismal font in December of my birth year and had me baptized. How could I know I was a Christian? Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to be careful. It truly is a blessing. It is a blessing for those who know what it's like to be an unbeliever and then truly know God's grace. But you know what? In my early 20s, when I discovered the doctrine of predestination, I discovered something else. God had planned that for them, but it was just as big a blessing and remains just as big a blessing today that I myself have never known one minute in my life in which I did not know God. That older brother couldn't help the position he was born in. He didn't deserve anything. He didn't deserve a fattened calf either. He neither. And so we see that neither brother earned or deserve the amazing grace that was given to them. The difference is, one squandered it more. And the other one resented the grace when he seen it given, seen it given to someone else. It's not fair. Grace is not fair. If God's going to be fair, then we have to admit none of us have the image of God in and of ourselves. And if God's going to be fair, we go to hell. So let's be honest and look at the bigger uh, situation. Instead, God in his grace has called you and he's called me and made us his children. Let's apply that. 
The older brother's complaining about the, the, the prodigal, the lost son, the younger brother who squandered it. And probably the closest we see that is delinquents. People who have quit coming to church. Those are our greatest prospects. That's our best evangelism. And brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the way our church structure is set up, they are co-owners of this property. So there is a point in time, there truly is, when we finally in good stewardship do have to say, you are not being a good steward. And, and for legal reasons alone, we have to remove you from membership. But what really bothers me, and every congregation has it happen, well, the Messerschmitts haven't been to church in a year, not, or two years, or three years. None of us have spoken a word to them about it, but let's go ahead and remove them from membership. And then, Pastor, you better send them a snotty or nice letter to let them know, so in case they accidentally do stop this and come to church, they know they're not welcome here. We should be bending over backwards, seeking them out. We've received grace, and they've starved themselves. And sad to say, yes, there is a point when a congregation has said, man, we have been working night and day on these people. We've been calling and begging them, come back. Like the dad standing on the, on the step. Come, son, come to the banquet. But they won't. That's a different story. But you know how often it is that with that encouragement, they do. I was a layman when I became aware of another phenomenon. Co-workers pointing it out in their churches who were older than me and everything. You know, it is amazing how often the people who give the least in offering, you know, I'm not talking about who can afford and give, but, but the people that, you know, your skin flints who are cheap, throw, can afford to throw $100 a Sunday in, but, into the offering plate, but instead they give a buck at best. Their sinful nature's really, really fighting it. But then they often have the greatest opinions of where the money should be spent, and the people who are given the offerings that are actually heating the building and air conditioning it and paying for snow removal, they tend to be the quietest. Is that fair? What happens if we single out? So I saw how much you threw in, Messer Schmitz. We'd be driving them away from church. It's not fair. And sometimes maybe we miss the fact that. They had given up as quite a struggle with their sinful nature to throw that dollar in the offering plate and the angels sang to a greater glory than the person who gave more than they could afford but just happens to not be able to budget their money very well. And I think about it as a pastor. A lot of my time, most people don't even understand how much time is spent just studying the Word of God. But I think about the people who do all the work in a congregation, who do do the cleaning, who do do the snow removal, who are there, those people that when they're absent, all of a sudden we go, man, this didn't get done this Sunday. But you know, those people don't get the biggest chunk of pastor's time, do they? It is the one who has a drug addiction problem. It is the delinquents who you're knocking on the doors. It's the couple who don't come to church very often and now they're fighting like cats and dogs. And sometimes we do that. We're two sinners married together, right? That's just a reality of living in a sinful world. But because they're staying away from church, you have to build up a foundation of God's word before you can even get to the marriage problem. And you can't tell the rest of the church, man, folks, I just spent 15 hours this week trying to save the Messerschmitt's marriage. That'd be embarrassing for them. 
So the ones who do all the service, isn't it amazing how often God has given you? I'm preaching to you guys today. You're here. Isn't it amazing that God has given you that faith that you get to hear those words always? Son, daughter, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Stop and think about that because too often people think Christianity is just about what happens when you, when you die. All of God's kingdom is yours now. Yes, you have to wait for that time when you will actually be before the throne of God and especially physically with your own feet standing before him. That'll be when Christ returns. But you are God's child now. He has gifted you with all of those gifts. He has given you salvation. And so it really is a privilege to serve God. What always amazes me when I read this text is how it ends. But it was fitting to celebrate, and because of this, brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found, and that's it. What happens to the older brother? Does he say, Dad, you're right, amazing grace? Or does he squander it too, like his brother, and say, No, I refuse to rejoice in this because I deserve better? That would be work righteous. He would be driving the Holy Spirit out of his heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's grace is not fair. And thank God for it. Because you and I would not be standing here this morning if God's grace were fair. No, we would be embracing this world and well on the highway to hell. Instead, you have him always. When asked what characteristics do you associate with Christians in general, the non-religious said, hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, unforgiving, and disrespectful. And I have no doubt there are a lot of hypocritical Christians that are just like that. But you know, I think the same thing of unbelievers. I read the Hollywood celebrities who can't stand Christianity and the politicians and the pundits. Let's admit it. They're just as hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, unforgiving, and disrespectful. That's the sinful nature. It's amazing grace when God puts his Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we know he has saved us. It's amazing grace then when we can show love to those who are hypocritical, judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, unforgiving, and disrespectful. Because God showed that love to us first so that now we always know him and now we're able to share that amazing grace with others. God's grace is not fair, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for that. Amen. Come, O sinners, one and all. Come accept his invitation. Come obey his gracious call. Come and take his free salvation. Firmly in these words believe, Jesus sinners does receive.